Hello and welcome to Music Therapy and Beyond. My name is Alyssa and today we're digging into part two of our newest series, Authenticity in Music. If you missed part one, I would encourage you to go back and listen because I set up what authenticity means, why it's important, and how it helps us advocate for our field as music therapists. Um, And so today, we're kind of getting down to brass tacks, and I'm going to be talking about um, just some practical tips and tricks and things to think about when considering how to practice being authentic with your instruments and your voice and how to adapt some things to stay true to your abilities and the music. So, like I said, if you missed part one, you can stop right here, go back and listen to that so that you're kind of set up for the conversation today. With that, let's dig into part two, how to perform authentically. for us to start with the voice. Um, Every music therapist uses their voice um, in their work and whether that's talking or singing and a lot of these techniques apply to both um, but specifically singing and this also applies to um, performance as well. I was a vocal primary in my undergraduate training and I've been singing and performing my entire life. So this is something that I spend a lot of time thinking about and working on. So I've just kind of gone through and thought of a few things that I often find that um, young students or new performers often need reminders to think about, or maybe some things that they struggle with more than other things. So this is just kind of some pointers of things to work on, or maybe areas to check in with yourself on. And the first one is vibrato. Um, So this is a very noticeable detail when performing. And it's something that happens naturally in every voice. So it's not always something that we're thinking about, controlling, or paying attention to when we're singing. But we should. If you're not singing with vibrato, then you're singing um, what we call straight tone, which is something that you find a lot in pop music or maybe some modern jazz fusion or 50s era music. But if you use straight tone all the time, not only are you running the risk of being flat or sharp, because it does serve a function relating to pitch in the voice, it can also be totally inauthentic and pretty uninteresting to listen to. Um, Now, on the other side, too much vibrato and everything that you sing sounds operatic or gospel and overly done, which can also be unpleasant to listen to and sounds inauthentic to most styles of music. Um, Another tidbit about vibrato is if you have a really wide vibrato and you um, kind of wobble between two audible pitches when you sing, you really have to watch your intonation. Um, And so that's something that I would recommend you get um, some coaching on, maybe take some voice lessons to kind of figure out how to control that. Sometimes using a lot of vibrato can be appropriate and sometimes it's inappropriate and sometimes singing straight tone is appropriate and is not appropriate. Um, I think of vibrato like nutmeg 
Just a little bit is all you need, and too much can ruin a good pie, or in this case, a good song. The next thing to consider is tone. So tone is what's known as the color or timbre of your singing voice. Every voice has a specific color, and you often hear them described as being warm, dark, or strident, or bright. Um, Breathy or strong. You know, if you're singing Nora Jones, you're going for a warm, intimate, velvety tone, kind of like you're singing into a cup of hot chocolate. Um, And if you're singing Smash Mouth, You want that chesty, strong, belting tone with strong consonants and kind of a snotty attitude and little vibrato. Now, we're never singing unsupported, or we never want to be singing unsupported, but this is where you have to know how to manipulate your voice and tone to fit the style and what that means for you, what you have to do with your voice to fit that style. If you don't have a good understanding of what your tone is or how to manipulate it, then you won't know how to adapt it to fit different styles. So I encourage you to explore this area of your voice and have fun with imitating different styles. I find that the best way to learn how to sing like different artists or in different styles is to listen to them and copy what they do until it sounds right. Um, Imitation is the best form of flattery. So flatter these artists and flatter different genres by imitating them until you feel like you have a handle and can generalize it to other stuff. The next one is twang. So this is a big technique that you're going to want to use when performing country or bluegrass. This is also a technique that is very iconic to country and bluegrass. Um... (laughs) This is a technique that voice teachers work so hard to undo in voice lessons and in singing. I know I grew up in the Midwest and I went to a school here in the Midwest. I mean, I live in the Midwest right now. And this was something that was like the bane of my voice teacher's existence. She hated twang and she had to work so hard to iron it out in so many people. Um, But unless you're singing classically, this is something you need to be able to turn on and off when appropriate. This is kind of a hallmark of several very popular genres here in the U.S. So I highly, highly recommend that you give this some thought. So that country twang comes from glottal stops and rounding out your vowels. Sometimes it means turning on that southern accent that I believe we all have deep inside of us <laughs> to practice singing with twang. Like I said, um, flatter those artists and imitate them. Turn on some Johnny Cash or Loretta Lynn and pay very close attention. Really study the way that they pronounce their vowels and scoop their voices. The other thing to remember is the noticeable lack of enunciation specifically on R's. So word abbreviation is a big one. You don't want to over enunciate your words or consonants and you really just want to loosen up and sing like molasses. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, And there are probably some people who are smarter than me and better at explaining how twang works. But I'm just making the point, it's something to think about and it is something that adds a lot of authenticity to um, multiple genres. The next thing to consider is a simple one, but one that's often overlooked, and that's volume. 
If you're singing a lullaby or love song, you're going to want to bring your volume down. Pump the brakes on the belting and think about it as if you were singing to a sleeping baby or to a loved one. Now, if you're in a loud room or your client is hard of hearing, what can we do? Turn the volume up and soften our tone or use your head voice or a mixed head and chest voice. If you have a more strident tone, maybe that's what you want to really unleash so that you can cut through singing behind a mask or a large room or instruments. Um, Again, this is where tone is so important and you need to know your voice. When we're talking about volume, though, it's a matter of giving your body more breath support without sacrificing the tone or the style. So a lot of times when people try to sing loud, they sing from their throat and they start to strain and their technique and their tone is the first thing to go. Singing loudly doesn't mean singing poorly. So when you have to push yourself, dig deep into that technique, don't shut off your brain to posture, breath, body position, and tone. Contrary to popular belief, all the techniques that you use when you're super focused, like when you're singing an aria, they do apply to singing a Led Zeppelin song while still being stylistically accurate. Like I said, singing loudly does not mean singing poorly. And if you find yourself singing loudly and singing poorly often, I highly recommend that you look into a portable amplification system of some sort because you do not want to damage your vocal folds. If you if you find that you're sacrificing technique for the sake of sound, we need to reevaluate because that is one of the worst things you could possibly do to your body and it's going to make your music and your career suffer. My next point for you to consider is energy. If you're bored or not into the song because you've sung Hey Good Looking 50 billion times, trust me, I've been there, so will your client be also. Energy is such a contagious thing and if you're tired nervous, distracted, or upset, it will absolutely show in the way you sing if you're not being intentional. This is potentially an instance of fake it till you make it. Um, So let's start with how to show energy in our faces. Smile, make eye contact, lift your eyebrows, or furrow your brow if you're trying to show emotion or intensity. But don't let a mindless face completely distract from the music. I know for myself, um, and this is something that I learned during my clinical internship, when I'm not trying really hard to have an engaged face and body, I look mad by default. (laughs) I've had to work on this so hard. Like if I'm focused on the hard chord changes or reading a monitor, if I'm hungry or if I just forget to be in the moment and sing with my whole body, I just look mad and that's never a good look. So energy practice tip number one, sing with your face. Tip number two, if you think you're being expressive, do more. I don't know if you've heard the modeling mantra, say it with your eyes, but it's basically true for music too. I've had multiple instances where supervisors told me I needed to be more expressive. And while they were saying that, I was sitting there thinking, are you joking? I was acting my heart out, but it didn't come across at all. 
So throughout the song, I would set up reminders. At the chorus, lift your eyebrows and smile. At the verses, move around and lean in closer to my clients. At the bridge, make sure you're making eye contact. You might feel ridiculous and you might feel like you're being so cheesy, but it really never comes across as too much. And too much expression is better in my opinion than too little. Confidence is key here. Now, at the same time, you do want to be authentic as a human being. And if you're not an overly expressive person, that's okay too. But remember what you're trying to do here. Connect with your clients. They don't know you as a person and you may only have 10 minutes to build rapport with them. So consider singing as a whole body exercise. So sing it with your face. And if you think you're being expressive, do more. I also want to make a point to say that I'm really harping on singing with your whole body for the sake of expressing energy, but also remember that this is not a performance. The purpose of music therapy is not to be just a music performer. Um, so obviously you've got a lot going on in your brain. So that's, but that's, you know, why it's easy to forget technique and expression because we're busy thinking about taking data and assessing our clients, you know, the whole time. There's just a lot going on, but practicing these performance techniques will make it easier for you to not have to think about them and completely focus on the clinical aspect of our music. Moving on now from talking about vocal technique and considerations, let's move on to guitar. I am no guitar expert by any means. I've been playing a long time, but I know I have room to grow. So these are all things that were taught to me or that I've picked up on over the years, and I, th I thought that they are all really helpful tips. And there are things that you can, you can tell when they're missing, if that makes sense. Um, so just some things to consider. One, rhythm. How do you decide on your rhythm or your strumming rhythm with a song? A great place to start is by listening to the bass and drums. Rhythm is a really important component to all styles, but there are certain genres like hip-hop or jazz that are driven by rhythm. It's just, it's something that you need to intentionally listen to when you're learning a new song. Next up is picking. All I have to say is practice, practice, practice. You need to get comfortable with picking and switching between picking and strumming in different time signatures and patterns that mimic the rhythm of the song. So, you know, Travis picking is great, and that works for a lot of songs, but you can't use Travis picking with every song. There are also little things that you can do to add some style, like 
um, stepping between chords, like walking, like kind of like a walking bass thing, walking up or walking down. And if you just start to experiment, you'll find some embellishments that you can use like different chord variations, um, inversions, or playing the melody within the chord. If you're uncomfortable with picking on the guitar, I would encourage you to be intentional about learning through a teacher, online lessons, or asking for help from a supervisor. The next thing to consider is strum pattern. So similarly to rhythm, every song needs a fresh look at the strum pattern, period. I've often seen um, newer guitar players who have gotten comfortable with the simple strum pattern try to apply that same up, up, down, up, down strum pattern to every song. Um, And while you might find that many songs are similar or even the same, you really can't use the same strum pattern. It just doesn't work for tempo, rhythm, or even time signature. It also makes every song start to sound the exact same, which makes it kind of boring and, again, inauthentic to the original music. So just give every song its own look and evaluation for strum pattern and learn accordingly. There are also some tricks you can throw in depending on the style, like using palm mutes or even hammer-ons and pull-offs when you're strumming or when you're picking. That can add a really cool little something-something to the music. So check out your strum pattern and reevaluate for every song and choose a strum pattern that most closely mimics the individual song. Next up, don't forget about the bass notes. They add so much to a song, especially in country music that rides heavily on alternating one and five notes, or even using the classic bluegrass ending. Dun, 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 dun. That's an easy little something that you can throw in at the end of a song to make it sound like you know what you're doing. So, like I mentioned, those um, walking bass patterns or even just a step up or step down, um, that's something really simple that adds a lot. My last recommendation for how to add some flair to your guitar technique is using seven chords. They create a variety within a simple chord structure, and I find myself using seven chords a lot with country music, jazz, and children's music in particular. They also work as a great way to emphasize function, um, especially if you're coming from a um, kind of an NMT approach or, you know, more functional music-driven approaches and interventions using those seven chords to signal work with the dissonant sound is, is a really, really cool technique that I would encourage you to look into how to apply. let's talk about piano. Um, So you'll notice that some of these recommendations and techniques are repeats of what I mentioned when talking about guitar. Um, But 
that's just because they're really practical and um, similar, but different instruments, so you have to practice them differently. But first technique recommendation for piano is using a sustain pedal. On keyboards and pianos, I have observed the sustain pedal um, as being an accessory that's been treated as optional. And as someone who's been playing piano almost all my life and taking lessons for a very, very long time, I just want to clarify for anyone that maybe isn't very comfortable on a keyboard or not very familiar with them, that it's not really intended to be optional. It's actually quite essential. I would say it's just as much a part of the instrument as the actual keys or the power chord is. So while it may be an annoying thing to have to remember to pack, bring it. Um, I know that they wear out and they break, but you really should make an effort to maintain them and always have a sustain pedal for every keyboard. Without it, everything you play is either gonna be staccato or you have to click a button and turn a sustain setting on, which just makes everything muddy. Um, and both of those, either all staccato or all muddy and sustained, is pretty much going to be inauthentic to 95% of the music that you'll be playing. Um, if you don't have a pedal, everything sounds clunky and really affects the energy of any song that you're playing and diminishes your ability to utilize dynamics. Um, it kind of makes your music sound like a player piano or a toy, and it's hard to sound good when you can't sustain to create smooth transitions or effects or dissonance and release. Um, there's a lot of technique that goes into using a sustain pedal, so don't treat it as optional when you're packing your electric keyboard. Now, if you're not comfortable with using a sustain pedal, it's definitely something to practice. I mean, it does take practice to have kind of that independent foot action um, going while your hands are playing, but I would go ahead and just recommend that you consider it as part of learning piano. Next up, I said it for guitar and I'll say it again, learn your seven chords. They're an easy way to add some fun texture to your country songs or for cueing purposes, like I mentioned. So definitely learn your seven chords on all your instruments. I'm just telling you they make life better. They make life more fun, so learn your seven chords. Similarly, learn some walking bass patterns. Even a simple passing tone or passing note between chords adds that something something. And it makes it seem like you're doing way more than you actually are, especially if you can swing it or syncopate it, then you're really gonna start to sound like a pro. Lastly, this is just a fun tip that I use a lot for improvisation or for songwriting, 12 bar blues. Now this is something that I, I did learn in uh, my undergrad. I had a competency on 12 bar blues, but this is a go-to uh, for me even now, even with experience and just, you know, for songwriting, for improv and all around jamming. It's an easy way to sound really good, especially if you throw in some seven and nine chords. And it's probably something that you had to learn for your piano competency like I did. But if you're not comfortable with it yet, I would encourage you to practice and use it in a session. Especially um, if you are looking for an easy way to help your clients be successful. Pro tip, try the 12-bar blues in the key of F-sharp. 
um, and have your client play on all black keys. My last tip, really it applies to all support instruments. So any instrument that you're using as your accompaniment, I would encourage you to become very comfortable with the metronome. Now, this is something that we all had to use with our primary instruments of study in school. You know, maybe that was a little while ago. Maybe you're in school. But learning to play at a consistent, appropriate tempo is super, super important, especially when you get nervous. Um, Because when we get nervous, we tend to play really fast. And um, especially on guitar, for some reason, I tend to notice that. Um, Similarly, we tend to make more mistakes because we're playing too fast and it gets hard for our clients to sing along or keep up with us. And it just causes our function of what we're doing to suffer. It just causes the quality to be poorer when we're rushing ourselves and kind of blowing through a song. So I would encourage you to use a metronome to practice consistency. Um, And if you know that you're going into a tough session or you have a new song and you tend to play fast when you're nervous, bring the tempo down and practice playing slower than you think to compensate for when you get nervous and speed up in the session. But consistency in rhythm is always really important and it really makes it hard for clients to feel supported when they can't predict the music And especially if it's new or unfamiliar. And so in the interest of supporting them and also maintaining quality musicianship, practice with the metronome until you feel that you can keep a steady beat and rhythm and tempo with the song. You'll be doing yourself and your clients a favor down the road. So that kind of brings us to the end of my recommendations for considerations when preparing um, your music authentically. It's a lot of information and I invite you to sit down with your piano, guitar, and voice and go through each of these to try them for yourself. If you're already using all of these or even more advanced than what I've mentioned, then you're doing a great job. If you're listening and thinking, man, just playing in the right key on time is hard enough, then you're still doing a great job. This episode is just to give you very, very basic things to try or think about to help take your authentic playing to the next level. The whole purpose of this entire series is to just give you things to think about. And wherever you're starting at or hoping to get to, I encourage you to take these basic concepts and run with them. And most importantly, have fun. Thank you so much for listening and I hope that you found these examples to be useful. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Music Therapy and Beyond. Check us out on our Facebook page. And for more resources and information, check out our website, www.musictherapyandbeyond.com. We'll see you next time.